If you leave church today and you don't know what the theme of the service is, you were either sleeping or unconscious. We began with the song, Your Great Name. We just sang Your Name. The title of our message today is No Other Name. And we close with the song, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. What one thing is in common there? (laughs) The name of Jesus. And that's why we are here. We Rejoice in what Christ has done. We pick up at chapter 4, verse 1 of this passage that covers a a good uh, section of Scripture. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 31. So chapter 4, verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight. I pray that you would apply, O God, your word to us today for the glory and the praise of Jesus. For we pray In his name, amen. One of the things that I think is interesting, and maybe you do too, is how parents choose names for their children. Some choose names to honor someone in the family. Maybe you're named after someone. Maybe your middle name is named after an aunt or uncle or parent or grandparent. Some parents choose names that are uncommon. Uh, They don't want their children to be in the first grade class where there's seven kids with the same name, so they make sure it's a name that is not that common. Some parents choose uh, names that start with the same letter or some that end in the same way. I know of a family that has children named Aino, Uno, Reino, and Toivo. Can you guess what nationality that is, huh? Those are the Finns with some beautiful, beautiful names. I know another family 
Four children, they all start with an M. And imagine this is parents trying to get these straight. Millie, Milo, Molly, and Marley. My mother had trouble with Dean, Rick, and Peter. Can you imagine all four names starting like that? And I read there's a few parents who have even changed their children's names years after they were born. Now, that's not very common, but there was a couple in New York. Dalton Conley was a sociologist at New York University, and his wife, Natalie, they have two children. And several years ago, they changed the name of their five-year-old son to this. And I have to read it. Yo, Zing, Haino, Augustus, Eisner, Alexander, Weiser, Knuckles, Jeremajenko, Conley. Why on earth would you do that to a five-year-old boy? Would you sign your full name, please? Wow, can you imagine what that would be like? Names are quite interesting, aren't they? Quite interesting. Joseph and Mary didn't have to wonder what they would name the baby that would be born to Mary. Before Jesus was born, the angel of the Lord told Joseph that the name of the child born to Mary would have a very powerful and a special meaning name. Matthew 121, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because, here's the Christmas story, right? He will save his people from their sins. You read through Acts 3 and 4 and you find the name of Jesus repeated over and over again. This name is a special name. It is a powerful name. It is a saving name. And there are four important things we learn about this powerful name. Number one, no other name can cure sickness like the name of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 3, we have Peter and John on their way to the temple. Three o'clock in the afternoon, the hour of prayer. And as they come to the temple, they meet a crippled man there, lame from his mother's womb. We learn in chapter 4 that we, he was in his 40s. And they would carry him and, and place him at the, the gate of the temple that's called Beautiful. And he would just beg for money then. He would stand there with his cup and people would come by and I suppose put some coins in his, his cup. And so here come Peter and John, and, and, and he's looking at them as if they might give something. And, and Peter, he says, I've got something better for you than just a few coins. And so they come along, verse 4, and uh, fix his gaze on him, and they tell this lame man, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, I don't have any silver I don't have any gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And so he grabs him by the hand, he gets up, and not only does he walk, he comes into the temple jumping and leaping and praising God. Is that okay to do in 
A Lutheran church, huh? Jumping and leaping and praising God. Maybe coming down the aisle doing cartwheels. I mean, this guy, can you imagine, he had never walked before in his 40s. And an amazing thing happened that day. He didn't know that was going to happen. But God had a wonderful plan for him. And the people, when they saw him, they said, isn't this the one? This has got to be the one that they carry to the temple every day. And it says that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Why? Because of the powerful name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Now, I find it interesting to notice the response of this crippled man to Peter's words when he says, get up and walk. Put yourself in this man's shoes. Here he is, had never walked. What do you think his legs were like? Shriveled up? I mean, can you imagine having never walked and then this guy uh, tells you to walk? Can't you imagine someone saying, well, how in the world am I supposed to walk? Don't you see? Look at me. I've never walked in my life. Look at these shriveled legs and you're telling me to walk? He didn't say that because Peter was proclaiming to him the powerful name of Jesus, the powerful word of God, and this command to walk came with the power to rise up. Some would call this a gospel imperative. A command given with the power to respond. <laughs> and sure enough, he rose up and walked. You know, this is how it works when it comes to salvation. Apart from Jesus, what are we? We are spiritually dead. Unable to save ourselves. But when the Word of God is preached... And when the invitation is given to repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus, we believe that there is power in the Word of God to say yes to Him. What does Luther say? The meaning to the third article of the Creed. He says, I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, nor come to Him. But, can you finish it? The Holy Spirit calls me through the gospel. So we who are spiritually dead, when that word of God is proclaimed, that's why we speak of the word of God as the primary means of grace. God's word is proclaimed. The invitation is given. It's a gospel imperative. And just like this man rose up and walked, we come to Jesus and trust in Him. And guess what? We're given life. Raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. So have you responded to the call to come to Christ and experience life, right? No other name. But the name of Jesus can cure such sickness. Notice, secondly, no other name can create such a stir as the name of Jesus. We're told about the healing of the lame man. The news traveled quickly. People gathered there at the temple. And here's this guy just 
Verse 11 says, what do you mean? Clinging to Peter and John. Can't you imagine that? You have just, <laughs> what you've done for me. He, he just did not want to let them go. But I think Peter started getting a little nervous with this guy is clinging to him because he realizes it was not power in Peter that healed him. It was due to the power of Jesus and Jesus alone. So verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to the people, he says, Why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power we have made him to walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. And then on verse 16 he says, And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man which you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. In those verses, Peter mentions Jesus four times. It's like he's saying, you need to really understand that this was not me, this is Jesus. He is the one who healed this man. John Stott says, the, remote, the most remarkable feature of Peter's second sermon, as of his first, is its Christ-centeredness. He directed the crowd's attention away both from the healed man and the apostles to Jesus. That says something about Peter, doesn't it? Don't look at me. You don't even look at this guy. Look at Jesus. Because it is his name that has changed this man's life. Peter also realized that his mission was not so much heal the body. His mission, like Jesus, was the soul, right? That, that was the focus here. And so, after this guy was healed, what did Peter do? He didn't say, hey, we've got to have a healing service. Get everybody from Jerusalem. Bring them here. We're gonna, you're going to see people walking and, and heal from leprosy and, and send out a mailing, right? You ever get those mailings? I get those mailings sometimes, you know, there's going to be a heal, healing service and, you know, everybody come and... Well, Peter didn't do that. Because he knew that more important than healing for the body was salvation of the soul. And so he used this healing as a springboard, we could say, to preach the gospel. He talked about the death the resurrection of Jesus in verses 13 through 18, he says, You crucified your Messiah, law and gospel. And then he invited them in verse 19 to repent and to turn from their sin. Verse 19, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Where did Peter learn this? You know where he learned this? He learned this from Jesus. Because in Mark chapter 1, Jesus was in Capernaum, and there was a bunch of people that were healed that day. And then early the next morning, Jesus went off to pray by himself. And guess who comes? Peter says, hey, Jesus, they're looking for you. I wonder why they're looking for him. 
Well, all these healings. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. So Jesus tells us why He came. It wasn't so much to heal everybody, but to preach the Word, to share the Gospel. And so Peter learned that from Jesus. And in this case, He proclaimed the Word of God to them. Yes, Jesus healed this man, but you need something greater than healing. You need a, you need a Savior. And that's what He focused on so clearly. And after inviting them to repent of their sins, He warned them of the consequences if they didn't turn to Jesus. Verse 22, he says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed. In other words, what he's saying, okay, God has sent Jesus. Hear Him. Listen to Him. Trust in Him. Because if you do not, there will be consequences. You will be utterly destroyed. So what do you have? A, a crippled man was healed. The gospel was proclaimed. An invitation was given. A warning was firmly issued. You'd think that all the people in Jerusalem would say, Wow, it is time. It is time to deal with our sin and turn to Jesus. But that didn't happen. You go to chapter 4, verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, then the priests, the temple guard, the Sadducees, they saw the disturbance, what's going on, and they come there. And verse 2 of chapter 4 says that they were greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. And they certainly didn't want anyone in the temple area to be preaching about Jesus. So they attempted to silence them, put them in jail, arrested them, and then they were going to give them their, their warning. Silence these people. We don't like what they're saying. Do you get the impression that there is a concerted effort to silence us today? You think people want to silence the church? Silence the message of salvation in Jesus, I'll tell you what, there is a concerted effort in our country to silence us. Social media wants to silence us. There is a great amount of censorship going on today if it does not agree with the message of the liberal culture today. It's happening. It is happening to a great degree. Government. They want to silence us with hate laws, hate speech. Our education system in our country today, biblical values, really aren't welcome 
And if you openly talk about Jesus, you will create a stir. Just like what happened here in Jerusalem, if you take a stand for truth, for Jesus, for moral values, get ready. You're going to stir the pot, and people will not like that. And there will be an attempt, and it's going to get worse, I believe, to silence us. Will we let that happen? I hope not. We need to continue to proclaim the truth of Jesus. Notice thirdly, no other name can convert sinners like the name of Jesus. So they spent a night in jail, Peter and John, and they were questioned by the religious leaders. Verse 5, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. So you had the, all the, the heavyweights. You had Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, all who were of high priestly descent. So some of the former priests and anybody who had a connection, they were there. And when Peter and John were placed in the center, verse 7 says, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? And so Peter answers them and says, okay, I'll tell you what I told the crowd. It's in the name of Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. He, he tells the religious leaders what he had told those gathered at the temple the day before, he tells them, you need to be saved. You need salvation. And that's found in Jesus. That's your only hope. Verse 8 says that Peter was filled with the Spirit. And he said, rulers and elders, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, okay, as if... That was so horrible, you know, that we would uh, heal this man. If you're going to put us on trial for that, uh, we, we need to tell you then that by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, it's by this name that this man stands here in good health. And then he goes on to say, he's the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, but he's become the chief cornerstone and there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, Peter couldn't have been clearer, right? He couldn't have been clearer. There's only one way to be saved and that's through Jesus. So if you want to know why or how this man was healed... It's in the name of Jesus, and he's the only one who can save you. You need him as your Savior. Now, notice what happens when a person is saved. Verse 19, Peter says that sins are wiped away. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. A great picture of what God does when we confess our sins. William Barclay says that ancient writing was upon papyrus and the ink used had no acid in it. It therefore did not bite into the papyrus as modern ink does. It simply lay on the top of it. 
And so to erase the writing, a man would take a wet sponge and simply wipe it away. It'd be gone. Just so, he says, when God forgives our sins, he wipes the slate clean. It's gone. One author says, God does far more than merely cross out believers' sins. He wipes them away completely. They are gone beyond the possibility of review or recall. Even their horrible sin of rejecting and executing their Messiah was not indelible and could be wiped away. That's the good news they needed to hear. They needed to hear that what they had done in crucifying their Messiah, that God could wipe their sin away. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Our sins can be washed clean, wiped away. What better news to share with the world today that there's forgiveness in Jesus. Our sins can be wiped away. And that's not all. Peter says, The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, the appointed one, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things comes. We await that day, don't we, when all things will be restored, these uh, old... uh, Bodies of ours, we give a new body, a new, new creation, new heaven and new earth, right? All that was lost in the fall is restored. I'd say that's good news, isn't it? Praise God for that. No other name can do that, but the name of Jesus can forgive sins, can change lives, can bring salvation. But then finally, no other name can give courage to simple men like the name of Jesus. Just think of what was happening here where Peter and John, they were courageous in this passage. Uh, Think of what they were like before this. Think of Peter, you know. Oh, you sound like a Galilean. Uh, you, You must know. Oh, no, I don't know this Jesus. What are you talking about? I don't know him. Three times, right? No, I'm not. I don't know him. Is this the same guy? Yes and no. (laughs) It's the same guy, but a transformed guy, filled with the Spirit of God in front of these religious leaders. Tell you what, all Peter wanted to do was talk about Jesus now. Prior to that, he was like, oh, no, I I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know him. And think of where they were, then standing before the ones who had crucified their Savior, and they knew they could be next. It would have been very easy to just kind of, well, I don't know, he, somehow he was healed and just walk away. They, they didn't do that. And there, we're told in chapter 4, verse 13, that they were uneducated and untrained men. Uneducated Not grammatical is the word, and untrained is the word idiotes. Guess what English word comes from that? These are just idiots. These guys, but they had seen something in them. The courage with which these men stood before them, they saw 
something of God there, didn't they? The power of the Spirit. And they had never seen anything like that before. So verse 15 of chapter 4 says, But when they ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What are we going to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them, it's apparent to everybody who lives in Jerusalem that this guy was crippled all his life and he's healed. So what are we going to do? How are we going to counteract this? We can't deny it. Verse 16 but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And so they're summoned before the religious leaders. They're commanded not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And I love Peter's response. Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right... In the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than God, you be the judge. Okay, who should we listen to you? Listen to you or God? And then he says, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's courage, isn't it? You can warn us all you want. You can command us all you want that we are not going to speak about Jesus. We won't stop. We cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. So they leave the presence of all these elders, these religious leaders, high priests, and they gather then with the congregation what do you think they said? <sighs> Just, oh man, were we lucky, huh? Oh no. If you look at chapter 4, verse 23, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And then they prayed. Verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. And grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Guess what? Their boldness got them in trouble. And then they go back to the congregation and what do they pray for? God, give us boldness that we may proclaim your word. They were not going to cower under the authorities who tried to silence them. What are we going to do? Are we going to be silenced? Are we going to say, oh, okay, governor, or okay, president, or okay, whatever, yeah, yeah, we'll just, we'll just stop, we'll just, we won't, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be silent. Or are we going to say, Lord, give us that boldness too, that we won't be silenced, that we will continue to proclaim the only message that can save, the message of Jesus. 
Has your life been transformed by the power of Jesus' name? There's something wonderful about that name. Audrey Meyer has written that, na- that song, His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord, He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord, He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is He. Bow down before Him. Love and adore Him. His name is wonderful, Jesus, my Lord. Is that your testimony today? That Jesus' name is wonderful. It ought to be. In fact, if you expect to spend eternity in heaven when you die, it needs to be. It absolutely needs to be. Because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your great name is able to transform lives. Your name brings healing. Your name brings salvation. Your name brings transformation. Your name brings boldness. Lord, you change these men who were hiding behind locked doors for fear of the Jews on that first Easter morning, evening. And you changed them in such a way that they were boldly proclaiming that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord Jesus, and no one comes to the Father except through you. Lord, may that message be that which we proclaim boldly and lovingly to a world that needs to hear of the Savior. For we pray these things in Jesus' name, that powerful name, that wonderful name. Amen.